Okay, tonight we come to the altar of burnt offering. Last week we covered the golden incense altar, and, uh, which is in the holy place. Everyone have your outline? Have an outline in front of you? Okay. And so there are two altars in the tabernacle. And the altar of burnt offering is our subject tonight. Am I too quiet? Can you all hear me? A little louder? Is this better? That's better. Okay. And the altar of burnt offering is in the outer court. Um, Can you show that slide that we use? Yeah. Okay. So just to get everyone oriented, we're covering the items of the tabernacle. Uh, Last week we did the golden incense altar. We've done all these items in here inside the tabernacle. Now we're coming out to the outer court, we want to touch the altar of burnt offering, this large piece of furniture that you see when you first enter into the tabernacle. Okay, Um, so the first point that we want to cover is why God came out of the tabernacle. Why did Christ come to the earth? What was his intention? Then we want to cover, uh, I'm just going to read the points, the main points on the sheet. Then we want to cover why the... um, well, why the, the Lord chose to use bronze and acacia wood to represent Christ with the altar of burnt offering. Then we want to see Christ's redemption in an inward way. Um, we want to see the mystery of Christ's redemption, uh, the grating inside the altar. Then we have a reading on the back, if you flip your sheet over, the issue of Christ's redemption with the, with the uh, rings, the bronze grating issuing in the rings. Okay, so basically four points tonight. That's what we want to cover. And just to begin, um, let me describe what an Israelite might have experienced as he walked up to the tabernacle maybe for the first time. Maybe he was a young person or he was a sojourner and he was allowed to go up and approach the tabernacle. As you can see, he would see the, linen, the white linen fence and he would immediately think, okay, this place is sacred, it's holy. It's pure. Uh, And then he might hear the sound of chopping wood. He might hear um, the bleeding of lambs and goats. Uh, You can imagine he might start to smell burning fire. Uh, He might hear men working, the sound of metal clinking. Okay, then if he went, see this little person on the diagram? If he goes in to the outer court, The first thing he's confronted with, this large altar, this large bronze box. And he might see the men take a lamb and slit its throat and pour its blood out at the base of the altar. Surely this would impress him, right? This would impress you if you saw this, right? Um, And you have to ask, why did God choose to put the altar of burnt offering at the very front of his house? He made a statement by doing this, right? You know, however a house in its yard is arranged, it tells you something about that person. Um, for example, if you're, if you're approaching a house, it has a beautiful lawn. Maybe it has a lot of uh, roses, irises. You can tell the person who lives in there maybe likes gardening, right? Maybe if there's a bunch of... Uh, water uh, jet skis out front, you can tell the person likes water sports. Um, 
So God made a statement by putting the altar at the very front of his house. Okay. And what that statement is, is that he wants to be one with us. Everyone outside of this uh, tabernacle and the outer court is not holy. They, could, they, they have a lot of problems. They have a lot of barriers separating them and God. So to get to God, God put uh, the altar there to take care of those problems. Okay, let's read point number one together. And Okay, let's just read that point together. Go. So that's God's intention. Now, how can we say that He's come out of the tabernacle? Take a look at Hebrews 9.24. Can we read that together? Go. For Christ did not Okay, I want you to circle into heaven itself. Christ, it says, went up from the earth into not a figure of the holy place, but into heaven itself, indicating the holy place is a figure of heaven where Christ came from and where He returned to with God. Which also indicates that the outer court is, is the earth and the altar is the cross. Okay, so with this whole design, there's, there's kind of two ends which represent two parties. In the uh, most holy place, you have the ark. We started this semester looking at the ark, and then we went to the expiation cover. And we talked about how that was God embodied in Christ. Um, that's God's end. Then we have the altar at the other, furthermost end from the ark. And that's the cross. That's for us. That deals with our problems of sin. So what these two ends indicate is that for the two parties, God and man, to reach each other, they have to journey. Both of them have to go on a journey. And they have to meet at the middle. Okay, so God came from the heavens to the earth with the express intention of going to the cross. Let's take a look at, take a look at Matthew 16, 21 and read that together. Ready? Go. From that time... Okay, he's, you know, he says this three times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I must go to this cross. This is my destination. I've come out of the holy place to the outer court to this altar. I must go. And in John 14, 3, we have his own words, an indication or kind of an insight into what his intention was in going to that cross. So let me read it to you, and I'll comment a little bit. And if I go, that's to the cross, and prepare a place for you, this indicates that there's the need of preparation for us to be one with God. We don't have the standing. We're fallen. We're sinful. We don't come up to God's glory. God's uh, nature would eradicate us. He has to do a lot of work to prepare a place for us. That's Christ's death on the cross, which is such good news. It took care of our sins. It took care of Satan. He destroyed Satan on the cross. He took care of the world, our old Adamic nature. Um, okay, then in resurrection, the next phrase, I am coming again. That's in resurrection. He came again to them three days later. And will receive you to myself. 
that's his beckoning us to begin our side of the journey. Now, I've, I've come out of the uh, tabernacle to the altar. Now you begin to come to me. And so that where I am, that's, he's, in the, he's in the most holy place with God, you also may be. And that's his, that's his real intention, that we would indwell him, that he and we would be an incorporation, mutually indwelling one another. Isn't this awesome? Okay, this is succinctly summarized, these two uh, sides of the journey, in Romans 5.10. So let's read Romans 5.10 and stop at sun. Ready? Go. For if we, being enemies, that's his side of the journey. That's him coming to the cross, reconciling us. Okay, now let's read the second half. Go. That's our side of the journey. Isn't that awesome? In one verse, you have both of us journeying to God. Okay, so how can we apply this? One way we can apply this is we, first of all, have to get to the altar. If you're not even at the altar, then you haven't even begun the journey. The altar was basic. It was the first thing everyone had to go through. How do we get to the altar today? We need to confess our sins. You know, uh, our sins separate us. Isaiah 59.2, it says... Your iniquities have become a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. But confession restores the fellowship. It restores the, our joy in the Holy Spirit. So we need to confess our sins. Let's read 1 John 1, 9. Ready? Go. If we confess our sins... Okay, so I have three tips for you on confessing your sins. I heard these last Lord's Day. Number one, keep short accounts. That means don't let a lot of things pile up between you and God. Just confess your sins often. Number two, be specific. You know, the enemy, Satan, would like you to confess that you're just a rotten person, that you're just bad, and then you just feel bad. No, if God is shining on something, it's very specific. So we just need to confess specific things to Him. Number three, once is enough. Just confess it once and then forget about it. Um, you know, the enemy would love us to just do circles around the altar. And that just means I confess this sin and then I just still feel bad, so I just got to confess it again. Okay, no, we need to forget about it. Once is enough. We need to go from the altar to the laver. We're going to talk about that next week. To be washed. We need to be fed with the showbread table. We need light. But the goal is to get into God. And Colossians 3.3 says, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So in the New Testament, we're not only in God's presence, we are in God Himself. Okay, let's go on to the second point. Can we read that together? Go. The altar of burnt offering... And you know, 1 Peter 3.18, I put that verse down. That says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous on behalf of the unrighteous. Uh, so Christ bore our judgment on that cross. And so when we say this, the cross saves us, the altar saves us, 
we don't mean the cross on the steeple of a church or just the two pieces of wood nailed in that way or even just that form of execution. A lot of other people died on crosses. They didn't save us. We mean the humanity of Jesus that bore our sins and then was crucified. That's the saving element of the cross. Um, so we, we see this in 1 Peter 2.24. He bore up our sins in His body. This is crazy to think about. And I heard this on Wednesday. One of the brothers prayed, Lord, You bore up my sins in Your body. And that just touched me so much. So how about we read it this way? Let's read it, and instead of saying our sins, you substitute your name, okay? So, like, if your name is uh, Isai, you read it, who bore up Isai's sins, okay? Let's read it like that and stop in his body, on the tr- stop at after tree. Ready? Go. Isn't that awesome? So he bore up our sins. Okay. Um, in order that we, having died to sins, might live to righteousness by whose bruise you were healed. You were healed. If there's anything holding you back, this verse says you were healed. You're healed from the effects of death. You're healed from condemnation. You're healed from sin. You're healed from all kind of things. If you're wondering about not being able to go to the conference, you're healed from that. Okay. But let's think about that story of the person going up to the altar back in that time. And imagine this time that the person had committed a sin. They had, a, they had something wrong and God had commanded they had to bring a lamb to offer to pay, the, to pay for that sin. So you're going to the altar, you're leading this lamb maybe on a rope or something. And you go through the gate. What do you see there? What, do you see the acacia wood of Christ's perfect humanity? You know, Christ had perfect humanity. He was strong enough to bear in His body all our sins up on the tree. Do you see that? No. It's all bronze. Can you show the next slide? This is like a recreation someone made. It, this is place of, plates of bronze covering the altar. It's striking. There's no wood. It's all bronze. That's all you see. So the backstory on that bronze is very significant. So basically, what happened with that particular bronze was uh, Moses and Aaron were leading the people when suddenly three men rose up in rebellion and then it quickly spread. Soon there were 250 other men, leaders, well-known men, and they were rebelling against Moses and Aaron. And they were saying, "You're, you're going too far. We should be able to lead the people. And the 250 men brought bronze censers before Jehovah and offered uh, incense. And they did this presumptuously. God hadn't commanded them to do that. And Moses and Aaron appealed to Jehovah, and he judged everybody. It was awful. The earth opened its mouth, and the three men and their families descended alive into Sheol. And then fire came forth and consumed these 250 men. Then Moses told, or Jehovah told Moses, tell Aaron's son to go pick up the censers from the burning. You can just imagine the gore and anyway, the scene. And so they went and they picked up the censers and he told them this verse, number 1638. So let's read that together. The censers
So you can just imagine the offerer with his lamb. He's paying the price for his sin. He's probably, he probably knew uh, one of those leaders, at least. They were well-known men. They were respected in the community. And you, he's just thinking, that, that could easily have been me. Uh, they were leaders, and so they actually represented the whole congregation, indicating that everybody has rebellion. Everybody has sin. And God judges rebellion. So I have a problem. I'm rebellious, I'm sinful, and God's judging that. What am I going to do? So the only thing you're appreciative, appreciative of at that moment is the lamb you're, you're leading, right? Because it, it'll be the lamb that'll bear the penalty for your sin, not you. And so, aren't you glad we have a lamb? But what do you see when you look at Christ? You don't see in the accounts of His crucifixion a perfect humanity passing through everything, just straight A's. You know, you see bronze judgment. You see God's judgment. There are two chapters in the Old Testament that talk about Christ's crucifixion in prophecy. Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. I put down these verses from Isaiah 53. I feel like we should just read them together. Brothers 1, sisters 2, and we'll just see the bronze in these verses. Ready? Go. Who has believed our report? Isn't that striking how much it looks like God's judgment is upon this person here? In fact, they didn't, the, the people around didn't even realize it was because of their sin. They thought, surely God's judging this person. It looks like a horrible thing. He's, no one would want to be around him. He's just being smitten. And yet that was our Christ. Okay. So, how can I apply this? I was just thinking about applying it with this uh, verse, number 1638. The last sentence says, So they, the bronze plates, shall be a sign to the children of Israel. You know, we need a sign 
that God is judging and that we have a, we have a substitute. So the sign there is, is just kind of this permanent reminder. And so we preach this Christ as a permanent sign to everyone that God is judging, that they're sinful, that they're going to fall under judgment. If, if they don't take Christ as a substitute for their sins, it's going to fall on them. If they don't come up with a lamb, they're, they're going to have to get on the altar. So this is our preaching. This is our message. This is our gospel. And people believe. That's why I'm saved. Uh, I was with this young junior hire a couple years ago from Afghanistan. He had moved here with his family. His name's Redwan. Some of y'all know him. And he asked me, I was in a home meeting with him, why do I, uh, why do, I do things, why do I keep sinning? Uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's something like that. What do I do about this? I said, we all sin. Uh, I just shared a little gospel with him. I said, would you like to accept someone who could save you? He said, yes. And we prayed right there. People get saved if you just speak this. We preach Christ crucified. Okay. Then, uh, I was just thinking, if there's anybody here who has not accepted Christ, this would be a great moment for you to bow your head and pray and accept the Lord. Uh, How about that? So how about we just pray a simple prayer. You can pray it with me if you want, if you've never prayed to accept Christ. So, Lord Jesus, thank You that You are the Lamb of God. Thank You You could bear the sins of the world. I need my sins taken care of. Lord, bear up my sins in Your body on the tree. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, then let's go to number three. The grating is the most important part of the altar, for it depicts the mystery of Christ's redemption. So if you look at Romans 3.24, let me read it to you. It says, redemption is in Christ Jesus. It's very interesting. It doesn't say by or from. Colossians 1.14 also says, "In, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. And Ephesians 1.7 is very similar. So, you know, there's another chapter in the Old Testament that describes Christ's crucifixion. Psalm 22. uh, Isaiah 53 describes it kind of from the third person, like he, him. Psalm 22 is written by David, and it's first person. So you get an idea of what Christ is thinking, what he's going through. So let me just read you a couple verses from Psalm 22. Verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? All who see me deride me. They sneer at me. They shake their heads, saying, He committed himself to Jehovah. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he takes pleasure in him. But you are the one who drew me forth from the womb, who made me trust while at my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help me. Then it goes on with verse 12 through 18. So how about we read these together? Same thing. Brothers on 12 and sisters on 13. Many bulls surround me.
So I was just thinking, you know, how to kind of convey this. Um, a person really makes decisions inwardly, and a person's inward being is really what matters. Uh, you know, oftentimes we look at the outside, but God definitely looks at the heart. Uh, that's why he chose David over Saul. Saul was um, much more fitting, we would think. He was taller, more powerful maybe, more well, more well connected. David was the last. He was just a shepherd. But God looks at the heart. God values the inward parts of a person. And we all know Christ suffered outwardly. That's a given. It's the most... Everyone knows he was pierced, his hands and his feet. But have you ever considered that his inward sufferings exceeded his outward sufferings? Verse 14 says his bones are out of joint. And it says my heart is like wax. It's melted within me. There must have been something very hot burning within Christ to cause his inward organs to melt, to be like melting wax. His strength is, dry, is dried up like a shard. And then you have put me in the dust of death. It was God, not just man, who killed Christ on the cross. So, Christ's redemption is signified by the altar burnt offering. But the inward aspect of Christ's redemption matters the most to God. And He Described in Exodus 27.4, if you could flip your sheet over really fast, a grating of bronze. And you see the grating? There's a little image of what it might have looked like. The grating inside the altar was kind of like a barbecue grill. It was where the wood was placed. It was where the animal was. Everything was burning right there. And the altar was like seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet. It was very large and five feet tall. And the grating was right in the middle. So it would have been hard to see if you were just not a priest, if you were just looking at it from like this angle. You can't see it. It signifies that there's an aspect of Christ's redemption which is hidden, which is a little bit mysterious. Um, all we can gather from the prophecies are that, all we can gather is that Christ suffered more inwardly and he did outwardly, as evidenced by Psalm 22.14, Psalm 22.1, which again is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Out of all the people, out of, I've been with you for eternity, and now at this moment of my most dire need, you have forsaken me. I don't know if you can touch the depth of Christ's suffering here. People were against him, and now God... His father turned his face away. He couldn't bear to look at this one because he had made him sin itself. He was the unique sinner. He had to leave him for a while economically. There he was, alone, dying, until he was dead. He was gone. That inward suffering, all we, can, we can't reproduce it. All we can do is appreciate him. Okay, so how, um, how can we apply this I, w I was really helped. There was a brother who shared this last Lord's Day. Let's read uh, Romans 8.34 together. Go. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ Jesus who died. So Paul, 
he came to the conclusion that nothing could separate him from God's love. God had gone to the extent of, of, of not sparing his own son. Romans 8.32 says, indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And then uh, a little bit before that, he says, what then shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that good news? So the application is, who is he who condemns? Do you condemn yourself? It is Christ Jesus who died and rather who was raised, who also intercedes for us. We have a man on the inside. Wow, we are inseparably united to God's love. Okay, so I think that's, that's good for me. Uh, let's flip the sheet over. Let's uh, group up. Now this reading is a little development. It's about the issue of Christ's redemption with these rings signifying the Spirit. Okay, so let's group up. Let's get into uh, little groups, read this for a little bit, and then we'll have some overflow.